Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, please, to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Something on my heart I want to share with you this evening. I pray will be a blessing to you. And will be something that will give you further insight and greater depth in the things of God. Romans chapter 10. Before we look at that, I just want to review just a little bit about what I talked about this morning with regard to four spiritual laws that govern God's relationship with man or mankind. The first one being the royal law of love that basically states that God is not only a God of love, God is love, and that He operates by the law of love. It's love that governs everything that He does. And so God loves humanity. God loves the world. God loves every person on the face of the earth now and those who have gone before us as well as those that will ever be born into this world should Jesus tarry. God's love is far-reaching, overwhelming, indescribable. We can't even explain it. You only have to perceive it inside your heart. And we talked a little bit about that, the love of God. Well, if God loves us so much and God cares about us so much, then why is the world in a mess? Why is it that people are suffering? Why is it that people are experiencing tragedies? Why is it that there's all this sickness and all this disease and chaos and hurt, heartache and pain in the world? And that brings us to the second law, the law of sin and death. In Romans 8, 2. Because of the law of sin and death, man is separated from God. Therefore, he cannot experience the love of God. Neither can he know the plan that God has for him. And even though it's a wonderful plan, even though it's a beautiful plan, even though it brings abundant life to every human life, if, if that person will receive and accept it, he can't just get it over to them automatically because of the law of sin and death, which is a law that he cannot violate. So he did something about it. He did something about it. And what he did was he sent Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus said, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus came and laid down his life. Why? So that he would free us from the law of sin and death. The third spiritual law is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that makes us free from the law of sin and death. You know, saints, either we are free or we are not. Thank God I declare we are free. What Jesus did in us is greater than what Satan did in Adam. Somebody better shout amen. Hallelujah. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. But now, even though Jesus did that for us, 
You see, that is still not something that's automatically experienced in a person's life. The fourth law, the fourth spiritual law, is the law of faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. Faith is a spiritual law. And that fourth spiritual law tells us individually every person must receive the things of God for himself, for herself in this life. If I don't receive from God what belongs to me, then I'm not going to experience it. I have got to exercise faith in order to receive from God what Jesus has already done for me. What he has purchased for me in the act of redemption. We talked about the law, of course, of faith being Mark eleven twenty three, that talks about if you believe it in your heart and say it with your mouth, you will have it. It will come to pass. That is the law of faith. Now, in this particular chapter, Romans chapter 10, we have a revelation given to us from the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, in actuality, expounds on faith and its operation. I'm going to read from verse 1. And I'm reading it to you from the Amplified Bible. It says, Brethren, with all my heart's desire and goodwill for Israel, I long and pray to God that they may be saved. We found out this morning the word saved means healed, delivered, protected, made whole. Freed from the power of sin and the penalty of sin and the effects of sin. So it's all inclusive. It means in every possible way. However the fall affected the man, salvation means all that can be reversed. We can be delivered and set free from all of the effects of sin. Well, that was Paul's desire for Israel. He says, I bear them witness that they have a certain zeal and enthusiasm for God, but it is not enlightened and according to correct and vital knowledge. So they had zeal and enthusiasm, but they lacked the understanding of what God was doing in the earth in the person of Christ. Now let's read on. For being ignorant of the righteousness that God ascribes, which makes one acceptable to him in word, thought, and deed, and seeking to establish a righteousness or a means of salvation of their own, they did not obey or submit themselves to God's righteousness. They wanted to remain under the Mosaic law and continue to live by the demands of the law. And as a result of their ignorance of God's righteousness that comes by faith, they failed to submit to God's righteousness and continued to establish themselves in their own righteousness. And that wasn't going to work. For Christ, verse 4, is the end of the law. Christ is the end of the law. The limit at which it ceases to be, for the law leads up to him who is the fulfillment of its types, and in him the purpose which it was designed to accomplish is fulfilled. That is, the purpose of the law is fulfilled in him as the means of righteousness or right relationship to God for everyone who trusts in and, he and hears to and relies on him. So the law was a teacher to bring them to Christ and then Christ was to take over and fulfill the law 
and then they were to leave the law behind, knowing they couldn't establish their own righteousness, and then they were to move on, and by faith they were to receive the righteousness which comes by Christ. Next verse. For Moses writes that the man who can practice the righteousness or perfect conformity to God's will, which is based on the law with all its intricate demands, shall live by it. That means that if that's how he's going to live, he must also recognize the fact that God already made it very clear that if you break one law at any time throughout the course of your life, you are guilty of the entire law. You have broken and violated every commandment of God. Just one time. One slip. That's it. It was to expose man and his inability to really please God himself by works of his own righteousness. But the righteousness based on faith, verse 6, imputed by God and bringing right relationship with him says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead, as if we could be saved by our own efforts. Did you see that? And the word saved, once again, is all-inclusive. There's no way we can be saved, we can be preserved, we can be made whole, healed, delivered, protected, on our own or by our own efforts. What was coming against us was a spiritual force that we could not avoid or evade. And every single one of us, without God's help, would have been absolutely destroyed. But he had a plan, and in his plan, he sent Jesus, and Jesus was the one who would do what was necessary for us to obtain right standing with God and also enable us to receive the benefits of that position in Christ. Forgiveness of sin, healing for the body, deliverance for the soul, financial needs met, social needs met, and it just goes on and on and on forever. All that we need. But now look at what he says. By our own efforts. Could we possibly, by our own efforts, bring Christ down? Could we possibly, by our own efforts, raise Christ up? It's not possible. Not at all. Now, I want you to notice in the King James, if you have a King James version out there, what is that... Read, someone read uh, verse 7 to me. Okay, you see that word deep? You'll notice in the Amplified it said abyss. And that is correctly translated. Because you see the word deep there means abyss. Or if you look it up, it's bottomless pit. Who shall descend into the bottomless pit? To bring up Christ from the dead. Who has that ability? Who has that power? Here's what I want you to see. What needed to be done in order for us to be redeemed or delivered from the law of sin and death required Christ to come from heaven, suffer and die on the cross, but that wasn't the end. He was then to go into the bottomless pit, into the place of the deep among the dead. I believe we have a mature group of people here tonight. And so I'm going to share this with you because I believe it will enable us to have a deeper appreciation for who Christ is as well as what He has done and also give us a better understanding of how it cost Him for us to be delivered from the power of sin as well as sickness and disease. And then it will also help us better understand how 
since we can't do it with our own efforts in the flesh, that is, bring Him down or raise Him up or do anything else so that we could be free, there's something we can do. And this is going to really support your belief in the word of faith. Hold your place there and look at Psalm 88. I'm reading it to you from the Amplified Bible. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. It's a psalm, I do believe, that is prophetic. And it describes Christ's entrance into that place called the abyss and what took place down there when he suffered so that you and I could be free from the law of sin and death. O Lord, the God of my salvation, I have cried to you for help by day. At night I am in your presence. Let my prayer come before you and really enter into your presence. Incline your ear to my cry. For I am full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol, the place of the dead. I am counted among those who go down into the pit. I am as a man who has no help or strength, a mere shadow. Cast away among the dead like the slain that lie in a nameless grave, whom you seriously remember no more, and they are cut off from your hand. You have laid me in the depths of the lowest pit, in darkness, in the deeps. Your wrath lies hard upon me, and you have afflicted me with all your waves. Selah. Pause and calmly think of that. Let's take just a moment to really think about that. Your del- and go back to Romans 10. Your deliverance from the law of sin and death cost Christ, our Savior and Lord, something that we'll never, 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 never experience. And something we'll never recognize as far as all of its suffering, shame, pain, agony, name it, he suffered it. The lowest pit in the abyss, in the deeps, it said, who shall raise up Christ from the deep? The abyss, the bottomless pit. You see, He took upon Himself our sin. He took upon Himself our sickness. He took upon Himself our mental anguish. And He entered into the regions of the damned. Someone says, well, I thought when He died that His spirit went into Abraham's bosom or directly back to the Father. That didn't take place. No, the Scripture here says that He was raised up from the deep. When he commended his spirit, he committed his spirit to the hands of the Father. Why did he have to do that? Because he had no power now. No control over his own destiny. It was all in the hands of his Father. His body was carried into the grave. And as we just read, his spirit and soul were taken into the abyss. The bottomless pit. The place of suffering among the dead. The lowest because the full wrath of all of God's waves of wrath were upon him. Jesus. My mind doesn't register. I just cannot fathom. I cannot begin to even recognize or understand fully what our Savior did for us to free us from this awful thing. But this thing I know, 
I know that sin was so far reaching, it stained the very utensils of worship in the high court of heaven. I know that the penalty and the suffering for sin was so severe that there wasn't one human being alive that could possibly escape it by his own efforts. That what had to take place was more than a physical suffering because sin is not physical, sin is spiritual. And he was made sin for us who knew no sin so that we could be made righteous. If physical suffering and physical death could satisfy the claims of justice that were being held against mankind, then we could have died for our own sin. Right? Because we die physically. But that was not enough. The full wrath of God came upon Jesus. He became our sin. And substitute means to take the place of another. Where were we supposed to go? Acts 2 says his soul was not left in hell. His soul was not forsaken in hell. Neither did his body see corruption. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? Being made the curse for us. So that we could receive the blessings of Abraham. Beloved, it's all about Jesus. It's all about what He became. It's all about what God made him. It's all about how he suffered and died and took upon himself the penalty of our high treason and transgression. It's all about how he took our place in that lowest pit where we belonged. And it was the lowest because he took Adam's place. You understand that? It had to be the lowest. It had to be the full wrath of God. It had to be all the waves of God's wrath. And the thing is, when he took it all down there, the sin, Adam's first transgression and rebellion, high treason, that sin that separated humanity from God, he took as well our mental anguish and torment, all the torments and the tormenting fears that destroy the human emotion. He took upon himself every known sickness and every known disease to mankind. Into that awful place, he bore the penalty of our transgression and the effects thereof. But the good news is, when God looked down over the banisters of heaven and God saw his sufferings, I don't want to just say it. Hold your place. You have your bookmark at Romans 10 because I want to get back to that. But look at Romans. I'm, I'm sorry. Look at Isaiah. Chapter 53. In verse 4 in the Amplified it says, Surely He has borne our griefs, weaknesses, sicknesses, and distress. He carried our sorrows and pain of punishment. Yet we ignorantly considered him stricken, smitten, and afflicted by God, listen, as if with leprosy. See, you didn't see that on the cross. I didn't see that on the cross. Our Savior was afflicted by God as if with leprosy. 
But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement needful to obtain peace in our lives and well-being for us was upon him. And with the stripes that wounded him, we are healed and made whole. It's not just the Roman lictor stripes. It is the waves, the stripes that the Father placed upon him in order to satisfy the claims of justice that were being held against mankind. Now listen, let's read on. He was oppressed. I'm sorry, verse 6. And it, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has made him to, to light on him the guilt and iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, yet when he was afflicted, he was submissive and opened not his mouth as a lamb that is led to the slaughter and as a sheep that before her shearers is done. So he opened not his mouth by oppression and judgment. He was taken away and as for his generation who among them considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of Isaiah's people to whom the stroke was due stricken to his death. And they assigned him a grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. That word in the Hebrew is plural deaths. Although he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. He, that is the Father God, hath made him sick with our sickness. When you and he make him an offering for sin and as, or and, and he has risen from the dead in time to come, he shall see his spiritual offspring. He shall prolong his days and the will and pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the fruit of his travail, of the travail of his soul and be satisfied. God the Father saw the fruit of the travail of his soul in that lowest pit when he was separated from the Father with our iniquity, with our sickness, with our sin. In that place, wave after wave of the wrath of God. When the Father sees that, he'll be satisfied. What he saw satisfied the claims of justice that were being held against mankind. And by his knowledge of himself, which he possesses and imparts to others, shall my uncompromisingly righteous one, my servant, that's Jesus, justify and make many righteous, upright and in right standing with God. He shall bear their iniquities and their guilt with the consequences, says the Lord. I don't know about you. That's a time to shout. The Lord Jesus Christ bore the guilt and the consequences of our separation from God. He became sin for us. God made Him sick for us. God made Him be tormented for us. The fullness of the wrath of the living God was poured out upon Him, the person, Jesus Christ. And when the claims of justice were satisfied, the Father God looked down over the banisters of heaven and said, It is enough. I only pray to God that someday this is played back for us somehow, some way, so that we can see the Father on His throne cry out with that loud voice 
as His Son, the one He could not look on, the one who became sin for us for those three days and nights, is there in that lowest place suffering for our transgression. And I'd like to hear Him just say, and hear His voice just, just ring out through the regions of the damned, Thou art my Son. This day have I begotten thee. And boom, flashes of light. The glory of God. The Spirit of God. Breaks through and pierces the very darkness of that awful place. Catches His Spirit. Gives it brand new life. He hurls back the darkness. Rises from the dead. Enters into His body that was destroyed. And it's brand new. Brand new. Glorious. Glory to God, immortal, incorruptible. Victor over death, hell, and the grave and the effects of sin. Glory to God. Hallelujah. If the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He will quicken your mortal body by His Spirit that dwells in you. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now how do we enter in to the fullness of all that? To be delivered from our sin? To be delivered from our disease? To be delivered from our mental anguish? How do I take this and don't let it go to waste? How do I put it in my life? Go back to Romans. Chapter 10. Oh, the Jews were going about trying to establish their own righteousness, trying to get in right standing with God and receive the things that God promised, but they were going about it the wrong way. They failed to see and acknowledge that the Christ had come, and they didn't recognize Him. He came to His own, but His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. Those who were dead in sin and trespasses, those that were separated from God without a covenant, without hope, God turned to them, praise God, in the person of His Son, and said, look, if my people don't want to come, I'm inviting you to the supper. Come on in. Okay, now how do I do it? Do I kill a lamb, a sacrificial lamb? Do I go through the rites and the rituals that they did way back? No. That stopped in Christ. Let's read it like we've never seen it before. Verse 8. Well, then what does it say? But what does it say? The Word. God's message in Christ is near you. On your lips and in your heart. That is the Word or the message, the basis and object of faith which we preach. It's not far off. It's no longer way down. You can't bring them down. You can't pull them up. But the secret lies within you. The Word is near you. In your mouth and in your heart. The Word of faith that we preach. Because if you acknowledge and confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and in your heart believe adhere to and trust in and rely on the truth that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. 
You cannot experience the life of God in you by keeping a set of rules and regulations. You and I cannot receive the power of God that transforms lives, heals our bodies, and, and does whatever God said it would do by going to church enough times, by doing enough good deeds. The secret to experiencing the life-changing, transforming power of God that eradicates spiritual death, that delivers us from the law of sin and death, that rejuvenates the cells of our bodies, that brings healing and health into our lives, and emotional wholeness, once again, is as near as our mouth and as near as our heart. Thou shalt be saved. For with a heart a person believes, adheres to, trusts in, and relies on Christ, and so is justified or declared righteous, acceptable to God. And with the mouth he confesses, declares openly, and speaks out freely his faith, and confirms his salvation, his deliverance, his health or healing, his wholeness or soundness. I believe in my heart. I say with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. He overcame death, hell, and the grave. And thank God, I'm no longer a sinner. I'm a saint. I'm saved by grace. And thank God, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Jesus is on the inside in me. And I'm no longer under the law of sin and death. I have been set free by the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. I'm not under the penalty of sin. And Satan no longer can lord it over my life. And then I say the same thing with sickness. I've been redeemed by the stripes of Jesus. I've been made whole. God laid on Him the iniquity of us all. God laid on Him my sickness. He carried my pain. And thank God I am liberated from that sickness, from that disease. I boldly confess it. I believe it. I receive it. I thank God for it. See, it's the same truth. And that's what we've got to believe. That's how we do it. We can't bring them down. We can't pull them up. But I tell you what, we've got a mouth and we've got a heart. And if we'll believe with it and we'll say it, just as the law of faith says, you shall receive. But it's up to us to believe it. It's up to us to say it. Verse 11, the scripture says, No man believes in him who believes in him, who adheres to, relies, and trusts on him will ever be put to shame or be disappointed. No one, no one, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same G Lord is Lord over all of us. He And He generously bestows His riches upon all who call upon Him in faith. Did you hear that? All. He restores His riches upon all who call upon Him in faith. Jesus, I call upon You. I believe You bore my sickness. I believe You bore my disease and carried my pain. I believe that with your stripes I'm healed. I'm calling you my healer. I'm calling you my deliverer. I'm calling you the one who makes me whole. I believe, I receive, and I thank you for it. Now, you can't pull them down from heaven with your hand and your good works. You can't pull them up from the grave with your hands and your good works or, or anything you have. But with your heart and with your mouth, praise God, you can experience the reality of what He did when He came from heaven and went into that place and suffered and died for you. So it's not by the works that we have done. It's by what we believe and what we say. You believe the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead is dwelling in you right now? Is He quickening your mortal body right now? See, this is the place that God wants to, to get us to. The just shall live by, by faith. Next verse. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord 
invoking Him as Lord will be saved, delivered, healed, set free, protected, made whole and preserved. Sound. But how are the people to call upon Him whom they have not believed, in whom they have no faith, on whom they have no reliance? How are they to believe in Him, adhere to and trust in and rely on Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without a preacher? And how can men be expected to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings. How welcome is the coming of those who preach the good news of His good things. But they have not all heeded the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord who has believed or had faith in what He has heard from us. And that reference is Isaiah 53. So faith comes by hearing what is told. And what is heard comes by the preaching of the message that came from the lips of Christ. Oh, I like that. The Messiah Himself. And Christ gave the gospel to Paul. And Christ told Paul to tell people, man can't do it on his own, but if they'll believe in their heart and say with their mouth, what I did for them is true, they'll experience it. Did you hear that? They'll be saved. From the powers of sin, from the powers of sickness, from guilt, mental anguish, low self-esteem, greed, lust, covetousness, anything else that would try to get a hold of their lives, they'll be free from those powers. If they'll but acknowledge that I have delivered them from the law of sin and death. That's faith. Do you believe it? Glory to God. I believe it tonight. And now, I don't know about you, and I don't know what you want to do, but I had it on the inside of me as we began this service tonight. There was a cloud of God's glory in this place as we were magnifying God. And it rose up on the inside of me to share with you these blessed truths about what Jesus did for you and then for all of us to express gratitude and thanksgiving to God for Jesus. And in the process, I just see people being delivered and set free. Acknowledging by faith that the power of God is indeed at work in me. You know, there's been something I've been saying, and I'm sharing this with you. I've shared this probably before, but I'm, I'm saying it because this is, I believe, the direction God wants us to go in. You know, I was a young boy. I fell out of a tree, landed on my back, and, and you know, when those things happen, you don't see the effects of those things maybe for quite a while. I mean, it was sore then, but over the years... I got to a place where I couldn't even get up off the floor because of the pain that was so awful in my back. And so I had it looked at and checked out and I was told I have some discs that are degenerating. And I thought about that, you know, and no one is exempt, no one is exempt from attack and, and, and all that sort of thing. But I thought about that and I said, you know, now what, what are you going to do about that? Well, what can you do about that? And then it just rose up in me. I know what I can do about that. I can speak to those discs and demand that they regenerate. Not degenerate, regenerate. You see, it's in our heart and in our mouth. And if I believe they're degenerating and will continue to de degenerate and get worse and worse and worse and worse, they will. But you know what? I, I don't want to believe that. I do not want to believe that. I believe that what Jesus did, He did for me. And I am to speak boldly to my back, to my muscles, to my bones, to my discs, whatever it is. And I declare that they are regenerating. They are not degenerating in the name of Jesus. Jesus bore it. Jesus took it. Jesus did it. And therefore I have it. 
And the thing to do is to acknowledge it by faith. And then praise Him. Praise Him for it. Oh, thank God for Jesus who provided the means whereby I can have wholeness in my body. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, dear Lord Jesus. And see, and proclaiming that truth and doing it not once, not twice, not hit, not miss, but doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it and showing God I believe it. I mean business. I take it to heart. I am not going to stop acknowledging the truth of God's Word until I have, and I still won't do that, but I'm talking about it'll get to a place where my back has got to line up with the Word of God. It has to line up with the Word of God. And the more I praise Him for it, and the more I bless Him for it, and the more I thank Him for it, the more His hand is at work, the Word is at work. I'm giving Him something to work with. The more I say about myself, I'm not given to this, I'm not given to that. I won't be overcome by greed. I will not be overcome by low self-esteem or whatever it is that might be affecting a person's life. I have found the secret of faith and so have you. It's found right there in Romans 10. Paul didn't make it up. It came from the lips of Jesus who said, Tell my people the word is nigh them. They can't bring me down by their own efforts. They can't pull me up by their own means. But they've got a heart and they've got a mouth. Tell them, I said, to speak it, believe it. And if they will do it from their heart with their mouth in agreement, then they will be saved. That's what he said. It's right there in Romans 10. Delivered from the power of sin. Delivered from the power of sickness. Delivered from mental anguish and torment. Protected. Preserved. Cared for. And they'll set in motion those things that will bring His benefits into their lives. I just want to praise Him. I don't know about you, but I want to get my heart and mouth working now. What about yours? We've got a precious group here tonight. Can we gather around this altar and do it? Oh, hallelujah. Come on up here. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.